Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Hopefully it was. And uh, you enjoyed yourself uh, thoroughly. I think that song is is fitting uh, for, you know, where we're at. Or maybe just another day, right? <clears throat> Every day that we live, um, another day has been given to us. And, you know, just to be able to look back and... and and see God's goodness over your life, you know. Uh, I don't know if you like to have milestones or look back at milestones and be like, man, you know, five years ago, this is where I was, and this is where I'm now. Or, you know, I can remember 10 years ago, I can remember 20 years ago what my my life was like. And, and uh, to see up to date, you know, where you are with the Lord and the fact that you're alive and you're serving Him and you're adhering to him and remaining faithful to him. And obviously he's faithful to you. That's a beautiful thing. It's a, that's a blessed thing. Um, and I, I also believe in no such thing as coincidences. So as this year begins, uh, where we find ourselves in the book of Revelation, I think it's very fitting. So if you can, uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And we're going to be looking at the church of Laodicea. We're going to be looking at the first part of this message. All these letters, it's, it's so interesting that they end up breaking down at least when, in my study time into two parts. But we'll be looking at the first three verses of this letter to the church of Laodicea. That is correct, baby. <laughs> in uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 down through 17. So when you get there, if you can, please stand. We'll go ahead and read God's word. We'll pray and we'll get into our message this morning. And it reads, And the angel of the church in Laodicea, excuse me, and to the church, uh, the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, <laughs> those are some very strong words, Lord. And, and I, I pray as... Uh, you know, we contemplate what your scripture says this morning, we would be, we would just be open to receive uh, your truth as it's given, Lord, your warnings, your provisions. And Lord, may we find ourselves being honest with you so that we, uh, you know, can be formed and molded into who you want us to be. Lord, we, we want to be those who are faithful in your church. Lord, would you help us to do that today? Would you give us wisdom and uh, strength Give us vision to make correct decisions and, and to just have a heart for, for people, Lord, for the lost, Lord, yeah, even heart for the church, Lord. As, as funny as that may seem, we can be callous even to those right next to us, Lord. So may we truly seek to have uh, an enriched relationship in your son, Jesus Christ, and may we allow you to do the work that only you can do in our hearts. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, like I said, today we will be starting... Part one of this letter to the church of Laodicea. So a little bit of background about this church before we actually get into the message. So 
this this city, uh, Laodicea, was a wealthy town, and it was known for, if you will, its strategic banking center. So they 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 prided themselves on the large amount of uh, large amount of wealth, excuse me, that they were able to amass over a period of time. Um, they actually used their own wealth to pay for the reconstruction of the city uh, after a devastating earthquake hit in about A.D. 60, and they actually rejected financial aid from the Roman government or for the Roman Empire. They were like, no, we got this. Uh, we don't need your help. And they were extremely proud of that accomplishment. It was like, no, we, we were able to take care of our own. We handled what we needed to handle, and we rebuilt our city. Um, this city of Laodicea was also famous for the soft black wool that it produced, um, and also for its ancient medicine, uh, particularly an eye slab or an ointment that was used to alleviate pain. They were known for this. This this ointment or medicine went out to all the different regions of the known world, and so Laodicea was known for this. And as we go through uh, this portion of scripture this morning, uh, I want you to notice that all three of these industries, finance, wool and an eye ointment or medicine will come into play in this letter as only jesus can do he loves to share what's uh what what you could relate to what the people of the time could relate to and make it tangible to them as he he gave them a message so we're going to see that this morning um laodiceo's water supply was also relevant in this message uh, because their water had to travel through several miles through an underwater uh, underground aqueduct before it reached the city. And if you know anything about water and traveling long distances, uh, you know, it didn't arrive nice and cold. It didn't arrive nice and warm. It was very tepid. It was very just kind of just ran through and it was lukewarm. It was pretty nasty. But this is how their water supply would run to those who needed it. And unfortunately, this, this analogy or this description of the water, it describes the members of the church there in Laodicea. Today, we will learn that God is not interested in you and I being self-sufficient. Like, he's not going to give us brownie points. We're not going to earn points with him because we're like, hey, Lord, this is what I did. Aren't you proud of me that I fixed this and I made it happen? He, he's not into that, right? Rather, his desire is that you and I depend upon him for all that we need and not ourselves. Self-sufficiency, unfortunately, it leads to pride, while dependency upon Jesus Christ leads to humility. And that's what the Lord is after in your heart and my heart. He's after humility. He wants us to live humbly and, and, and have a humble heart towards him and towards other people. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 tells us, Take my yoke upon you, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is Jesus speaking. He's using that parable of the yoke. You see, when we take upon our yoke, you guys are familiar with what a yoke was, right? It was like when the, the two oxen or the two animals, they had the, you know, the yokes upon them and they were, it was supposed to keep them in line. But when one animal wasn't moving as fast as the other, the yoke would pull and it would be, you know, it, it would just be a strain and it would be hard on the animals. And if you take that analogy and you, and you apply it to your own life, when you think about your own life, when we take our own yoke upon our own shoulders, right, the burdens are super heavy, right? We're super stressed out. It's very painful and it's extremely difficult. This is, again, 
being self-sufficient, being like, I can do it on my own. But when, uh, and, and again, you know, that, uh, that, that uh, what is that saying? Burning the candle at both ends. What's up, brother? God bless you, man. It's good to see you. I didn't mean, uh, I'm not trying to cause, a, you know, interruption. I just saw someone I knew and wanted to say, God bless you. But, you know, when we burn the candle at both ends, what happens? We become burnt out, right? I know we've experienced that. We're just doing too much, trying to do it all. And it's like overwhelming. It's like, I can't do this. I can't, I, can't handle, I can't handle the burden that I've placed upon my shoulders. We get burnt out. And then what happens? Not only us, but everyone around us suffers. Everyone suffers when we're not right. But you see, when we take Jesus' yoke upon our shoulders, even when things are difficult. See, I'm not going to be fake up here. I'm not going to tell you you take Jesus' yoke upon your shoulders and everything's going to be easy. Even in the difficult times of life, you're going to learn far more. And his burdens are so much lighter. And you're going to find refreshment for your souls in him. You're going to find rest for yourself. What does he say? He is what? The living water. If you drink of him, you're not going to thirst anymore. You're not going to thirst for the world or the things of this world. You're not, going to, you're not going to burden yourself with measuring up to what the world is saying success is or what it means to be a man or to be a woman. You are going to find your rest and your identity in him, and you're going to be okay with that. That's the hope, right? If we're truly locked into Christ and living obediently with him day in and day out, that's what's going to happen. That, 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 that healthy spiritual fruit is going to manifest itself in you having a right perspective of who you are in Christ. And you're not going to walk around with your head down or messed up wanting to drink yourself out or kill yourself or do these other things because you don't feel like you measure up to the world. And so this is why it's so important for us to take upon his yoke and not our own. We have several main points this morning in our time. And the first one is this. Once we claim, right, us, once we as believers claim to be born again, there is no one foot in and one foot out. It can't be this wishy-washy thing. You see, the first statement that Jesus made to the church of Laodicea was that they were neither cold nor hot. Look at baby knows. She said, yep, that's exactly what the Lord said. He said, you're neither cold nor hot, but they were lukewarm lukewarm they were right in the middle you see the lord's desire was that they choose one side but not just stay in the middle not just stay in the middle being spiritually lukewarm reveals a person's immaturity and i'm going to show you why because it reveals one's inability to make a decision to decide to be decisive uh, this is where I stand on this issue, and I'm not going to budge because I believe and I trust. But being lukewarm is like, no, I, I got to just play the middle. I got to be cool with everybody. You see, we're, we're in society right now. Where we're at as a society, many fail to make a decision at all on many different topics. This whole idea of we're just going to be tolerant. And I, and, and I get where... When you don't have discernment, I can see where people are like, oh, that's such a good thing. Because you know what? On one side of it, yes, we are supposed to love all people. We're not supposed to hold a rich person higher than a, a person of lower class. Or we're not supposed to hold one race over another race. People are so mixed anyways nowadays, it don't even matter, right? It's like, dude, you're mixed with like four or five different things. But that's besides the point. 
But this whole idea of being tolerant in our society, it's gotten to the point where you cannot stand up for anything. You stand on a decisive decision. You are going to be called a bigot. You are going to be called narrow-minded. They are going to try to tear you down and rip you apart because you're making a decision. Just look at the issues in our world today. It seems like many leaders are not willing to make a decisive decision. They want to please everyone, right? That's what goes on in politics a lot. Oh, I, I want to please the people. As many people as I can get on my side, the better. And I want to people please. But you see, the reality is when you and I stand in the middle on an issue, many times we become lukewarm to the problem. We become ineffective at even having a proper perspective and view on things because we're just too busy trying to just be cool with everybody. And we don't want to say anything about anything. What Jesus is essentially saying here is he's saying, be decisive. Make a true decision and stick with it. Amen. 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 (laughs) Coming from an OG. Don't be wishy-washy with your decision about following after him. Either you follow hard after Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or the reality is, as hard as it is to say, don't follow at all. If you're not going to be about it, about it, don't be about it. Don't do it because it's not going to work. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We go over that. We throw that out there all the time. And we say some corny stuff. I'm t- that's taking up my cross. No, you not getting your order right from, you know, whatever the restaurant ain't, ain't taking up your cross. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You being inconvenienced because the power went out and you, you dugging it out with the candles on in your house is not taking up your cross. But denying your carnal nature. Right. And, 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 and it's not just sexual, but any sensual, any carnal desire that you have killing that dying daily to your flesh and seeking out the Lord for the right way to live and following it. You see, we serve out of obedience, not out of emotion. And I think a lot of Christians get this twisted. Christians think that just because you serve Jesus, your emotions are always supposed to be on a cool, pleasant, little fluffy angel soft pit pillow with the angel in the heart plane. That ain't real. That's Hollywood. That's fake. The reality is the Christian life is difficult. It's challenging. It's hard. And obedience causes you to live it out no matter if things are working in your favor or not. Because you're not going to get what you really desire in this life. You're aliens here. You're only going to live here a certain amount of time and you're going to die. And I'm going to die. You're either a sheep or a goat. Many people throw that word around now. Everybody's the goat. Tom Brady's the goat. Jordan's the goat. All these people are the goat. Man, I don't want to be a goat. I want to be a sheep. Because the goats, where they're going, and I know that's just a figure of speech. I'm just saying. But the words get thrown around so much nowadays. A sheep is someone who submits. And, and even the, the way that these animals are, if you go to the Middle East, you can see for sure the difference between goats. Just because they have four legs and the head, they're not the same. Goats are very, they're, they're very, uh, they fight for, for power. They don't want to be led. Sheep, they want to be with the shepherd. You know, goats don't listen. Sheep listen. Even though sheep are dumb, it's okay. 
<laughs> the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. But the whole point is, we have to make a decision. The, the whole, and the good thing is, right, even though you're a sheep now, everyone's born a goat. So nobody's better than anyone else. We were all born in rebellion, you know. We were all born with a sin nature, but we have the choice. Again, we talked about this last week. The decision is up to you. You have the decision in front of your face today. Choose life or choose death. Choose life. You know, choose the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have eternal life forever. It might not be easy, but it's going to be far well worth it. Amen? When your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you can trust and be secure that your eternal security is resting in Him. It's a beautiful thing. All right, the second main point is this. If we fail, speaking of believers, this is all about believers right here. Right? It's about the church. It's not that people that say, I don't care about Jesus. It's people who say, I'm professing to be a follower of Christ. If we fail to be either hot or cold and we refuse to repent. That's a key thing right there. Refusing to repent. Living a lifestyle of repenting and refusing to repent. God will vomit you out of his mouth. This is a very direct warning to the church of Laodicea. It shows us the serious offense it is to God when we profess him with our mouths, but our hearts are far from him. This statement reveals the judgment that will fall upon those who claim to be Christians, but are only so by title. Oh, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian around Christmas? Why? How are you a Christian? Like, you know what I mean? A lot of times we say, it's like here in America, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. That's, that's so bogus. Maybe at one point in time that might have held true. And I have some facts here later on, some statistics that might, might be eye-popping and jaw-dropping to you. Because it was to me when I found this out. I was like, that's pretty crazy. But we cannot just profess them with our mouths. You see... This statement reveals that the judgment that will fall upon those who claim to be Christians, but they only do so again by title. There is no healthy, good spiritual fruit born from their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's how we can gauge whether we're of him or not, is because there's going to be healthy fruit, right? We're, 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 we're all branches grafted into the vine, and he's the vine and we're the branches. And so because we're connected to him, there's got to be fruit that's born somewhere. That, that fruit doesn't save us, right? But it, 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 it's a fruit that, that bears the name of Christ because it bears the likeness of him. And so those are markers. That's how you can gauge. I mean, if we're always mad, if we're always angry, if we never uh, show love to anyone, if we're never considerate of other people, if we don't pray for other people, if our hearts don't break when we see, you know, the messed up things going on in the world, then you can probably be sure you're probably a goat right now. And you're not a sheep. But if your heart breaks for the world and you have compassion, you're moved with compassion to do something. And it's not just, I just do Bible studies and I have all this information in my head and you just be spitting verses to people. Nobody cares about that. If they don't see how much that you care about them. You know, I messed up that statement, but it, it means the same thing. People don't care about all the information you and I have about the Bible until they actually see that we're down in the trenches ready to get our hands dirty, not afraid to touch people, and we're willing to get in there with people, and we care about them. Those are markings. That, that's healthy spiritual fruit. You see, this is similar to the warning that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, to those 
uh, that should cause any of his children to stumble in their faith. What did, what did Jesus say in that verse? He said it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Man, that's harsh. You see, they always try to paint Jesus as this, oh, he was just so soft and no, he meekness, power under control. But he has some harsh things to say to people. He has some harsh things to say to the church, but it's out of love. He said, man, if you cause any of my little ones to stumble, it's better that you get a millstone around your neck and just throw yourself into the ocean and drown. It'd be better to do that. What? That's God? I thought God was all love. Yeah, he's, he is love, but he also has other attributes too. And he's a very jealous God. And he's, he's a very loving God who cares so much that he's going to step in and show us the right way. That's, I mean, I praise God for the Holy Scriptures because that sets us on the right trajectory if we're willing to open it up and let it seep into our lives and get from our mind to our heart. It's how we are to live the best way possible here on earth, right? Every other way don't work. You could try psychology, you could try self-help, you could try 12-step groups. They don't work. They don't have that lasting impact because it's dead. There's no Holy Spirit in that. This is another example of the righteous judgment of God coming upon those who refuse to humble themselves, repent, and truly turn back to Him. Again, that whole idea of a goat, unwilling to be broken, so stubborn in its way it's willing to eat cans that's crazy (laughs) eating aluminum cans what is going on that's a stubborn animal i tell you all right this is the third main point when we are proud of our self-sufficiency we become aware of our true condition you see the church of laodicea prided themselves on what they could do what they could fix and what they could provide That's what they were about. Because certain tangible things were able to be stored away, they thought they were in need of nothing. They thought they were in need of nothing. This is exactly the same problem that many many people have today. Excuse me. They believe that if they have a certain amount of monetary wealth, right? If they have money and then, you know, what's the new thing now? Crypto, cryptocurrency. Oh man, I'm, I'm well invested in that. I got money coming in. I'm all about DraftKings. I got money coming in on that. I got money coming here. Come money coming there. They think they have everything they need. They're in need of nothing because they have money. But Jesus is clear. Whether you have money or not, if you don't have a real, personal, intimate relationship with him, I didn't say perfect, but I did say a real, personal, intimate relationship with him, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Man. All right. I, th- I think she's echoing what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe it's just me in my own head, but I'm like, I'm wanting to believe that the baby's on in line with what's, what's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and uh, get back to these verses. So uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, this, uh, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Okay, so... Just for the sake of uh, reiterating it, because you know what, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to hear it again. I'm, I'm going to share a little bit about Laodicea again. Um, wealthy city. It was a significant Jewish, uh, there was a significant Jewish population in the city. Um, again, like many of the other cities in this region at that time, it was the center for Caesar worship. So they worship Caesar. They worship man. And they worship false gods. They didn't worship the true and living God. Um, There was also a famous medical school there 
And this medical school is where they created the, the, the eye ointment that was passed around to all the regions of the world, which they were known for. Um, again, there was a devastating earthquake and they had such wealth that they rebuilt the city with their own funds and they didn't have to rely on the resources from the Roman Empire. They were too rich to accept help from anyone. And this is the first warning that the church of Laodicea was in trouble. Pride. Because they were steeped in pride. They didn't want help from anyone else. They just thought they could do it. That whole saying, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm a man and I don't need help. Uh, you're a man, you don't need help, and you're still struggling. You know, we go through that, but we need to humble ourselves and admit that we need help. That's the first step to getting back in step with God. That's all he's looking for in all of us today, to admit, I don't got it. I tell you right now, every day, that's what I do. I drop to my knees and I'm like, Lord, I don't got it. I can't figure it out. Every, every time something comes my way and I'm asked to do something, it's like, I don't come up here thinking that I can preach. I can't preach. I can't study. I need the Lord to give me understanding, to give me enlightenment, to give me discernment. But I'm depending upon the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and show me and give me the ability to do the things that he's called me to do. And that's all of us. But when we go that route, it's far better than thinking, I'm going to just open up this book and I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> and I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to do these things and I'm going to figure it out. Wouldn't you rather have the Lord with you than you go it alone? Going it alone is not a good look. You see, Laodicea was also a major player in commerce. And some of its goods, like I had mentioned earlier, were exported all around the world. They, again, prided themselves on three things. Their financial wealth, an extensive textile industry, and this, this popular eye ointment, which, again, went around the world. But one of their problems was that they had this poor water supply. Let's go back to this whole uh, idea of this aqueduct, this underground aqueduct that brought the water in, right? This water made them vulnerable for attacks when other uh, you know, uh, people groups wanted to come in and infiltrate. You see, if an enemy surrounded the city and if they had an insufficient water supply, they would easily be able to cut it off. And so the, le the leaders of Laodicea, what they did was they're like, I don't want to fight. <laughs> I don't want to fight. How, how, can, how can I please you? How can I appease you so we can be allies? Because we don't want to go that route. We want to be peaceable. Peaceable in the sense that they weren't willing to stand up for anything. And so this is another sign that they were in a bad place. The church of Laodicea and the people there. Because they were readily involved in compromise. They were so quick to compromise. You see, their main water supply came on a six-mile aqueduct from the hot springs of Heropolis. Because the water came from hot springs, it arrived terribly lukewarm. And Paul mentioned uh, this about the church of Laodicea in a somewhat a favor unfavorable light in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, and Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. All right, next we see in, in this verse that Jesus goes on to describe himself this is Jesus speaking firsthand about who he is to the church of Laodicea. It says, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is the amen, right? What does amen mean? So be it or it is done. That's why we say that at the end of our prayers, right? Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 tells us for all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You see, Jesus Christ is the personification and the affirmation of the truth of God. That's how we know God, through Jesus Christ. That's why the scripture says there's no way to the Father but through him. There's no other way. There's no other way. You can't do it on good works. You can't do it in some other religions. You can't do it no other way. You can't even do it in these, these, these one-offs of Christianity that have seeped into the church. You know? The satanic influence, making people think that they're Christians when they're not. The faithful and true witness. This is Jesus. He's faithful and true. It was in a stark contrast to the Laodiceans who were neither faithful nor true. And the application is this. No matter what we see or experience in this life, Jesus Christ is always faithful and true. Sometimes that's hard for some of us to hear because we say, man, I've had a hard life. It's been difficult. Why do all these other people seem to catch breaks, but I keep on going through it? You know, the Lord, <laughs> you know, what do they say? It, it takes pressure to make diamonds, right? So you may be going through just a difficult season of life. Sometimes that season's 10 years. You're like, man, the last 10 years of my life have just been horrible. That's okay. Because 10 years is nothing compared to eternity. In light of eternity, 10 years is like a drop in the bucket. And you go through difficult things, but that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is not just and true and righteous. You live in a fallen world. You live with fallen individuals all around you. So people in your family ain't going to be perfect. People in your job aren't going to be perfect. Your friends aren't going to be perfect. Your spouse ain't going to be perfect. Your children aren't going to be perfect. And since we intermingle with people all the time, the likelihood that you're going to go through something difficult, yes, it's going to happen. Because that's life in the fallen world we live in. I don't understand why people still don't just admit that, yes, we live in a fallen world. When you see all the carnage, you see all the chaos, you see all the evil. And this is good, but we're willing to save dogs. And by, by the way, the rainforest is, gone, is going too. All that stuff is going. It's all going to go up in a flame of smoke one day. But God, be true in every man a liar. Amen? Amen. Okay, he goes on to say about himself, beginning of the creation of God. Now, we have to get this correct because, like I always talk about, it's easy for us. We can manipulate the scripture to say whatever we want it to say if we don't study and read it in context. You see, the idea behind the word for beginning is that of a ruler, source, or origin not of the first in some kind of sequential order. See, the Jehovah Witnesses, they say Jesus is, uh, he's created. <laughs> he's created, he's not God. And, and they manipulate the scriptures because they don't understand, they don't have that discernment because they haven't submitted themselves to let the scriptures speak to them clearly. You see, this verse does not teach that Jesus was the first being created, but rather he is the ruler he is the source. He is the origin of all creation. It has the idea of first in prominence. That's what that means. So I don't, I don't want us to ever manipulate that or get that twisted of what the scripture is actually saying. Okay. Go on to verses 15 and 16. And this is Jesus again speaking to the church of Laodicea and us maybe today. I don't know. I don't know where we're all at. But it says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. 
Would that you were either cold or hot. I was getting me tongue twisted when I was studying this week. I was like, am I, re- <laughs> am I reading this, this translation right? But it says, would that you were either cold or hot. Oh, sorry, I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, man, this is intense. <laughs> this, is, this, is just, this is just a hard saying. You are neither cold nor hot. You see, this picture of lukewarmness would immediately connect with the Christians of Laodicea because the water they drank every day was lukewarm. Who wants that? Who? I hope you don't say, yes, I like lukewarm water. But it's like, it's either got to be hot or it's got to be cold. Drinking that lukewarm water, I don't know. But then sometimes, I guess, uh, there was a, what, the Europeans, they don't drink cold water because I guess they say it's better for your digestive system. I don't know. That's a, I'm not a doctor. That's a whole other can of worms. I heard that years ago. I don't know if it's true. I'm just saying. Jesus said, just as the water you drink is disgustingly lukewarm, you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. In this spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. It, it, it tries to play the middle, too hot to be cold and too cold to be hot. In trying to be both things, they end up being nothing except to hear the words, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Oh, that's just, that's just, that stings so hard. That's like, that's like that saying, depart from me, I never knew you, workers of iniquity. Oh, but we cast out devils in your name. We fed orphans, uh, we fed widows, we help people. And he's like... Again, because it's not about works. It's not about all that stuff. Yes, those are good things, but that flows from an outpouring of a heart that's been changed and transformed in Christ. Not because this is how I do. <laughs> this is how I do good for God. No, he's like, bro, I don't need your works. Your works are but a filthy rag. I won't translate what that means. I think we already know. But nobody wants a filthy rag. And he's saying that's what our good works are. So we can't rest in what we do. We rest in him. It's your connection. It's my connection to the bloodline of Christ by his blood saving me. That's how I'm made right by him. That's how I'm made right by him. The application is this. There is no greater curse upon the earth than empty religion. The hardest soul to reach is the one who has just enough of Jesus Christ to think they have enough. That's why week in, week out, I I keep on preaching. The cross can't get old to you. You can't ever say, I know it, I understand it, I got it, uh, it's beneath me. No, you should be, I should be growing every day in more adoration for what was done for us. Just to understand, you didn't come at me with wrath. You're saying that I can be forgiven. You're saying that I can be accepted. You're saying that I can be grafted in, that, that my name is in the book of life. That, I, that, I'm, that you're telling me I'm a co-heir with Christ? I know who I am. I know who I was. I know what I did. I don't deserve it. And he's saying, because it ain't about you. It's about my love for you. We need to be growing in that daily. That's just the reality. We should be growing in that daily. Man, it's so hard to reach someone who has just enough of Christ to think they don't have enough. Or to think they have enough, excuse me. Remember in the beginning of this message I told you, I had one little tidbit I wanted to share. And I found this the other night. A new survey reveals a shocking statistic about young Christians. 
more than about 60%, 60, more than 60%, hear me on this, of born-again Christians between the ages of 18 and 39 believe that Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad are all equal in regarding a path to salvation. What? Where, where are we? Where are we in the world? I don't know why. It shouldn't shock me, but it does. If you say you believe in the gospel, the gospel says there's only one way. And yet there's a study that says over 60% of Christians that are in that age range think that there's another way to heaven but Jesus Christ. That's sacrilegious. That is not correct. But this is what happens when people don't get in the word. This is what happens when people rely on a pastor to teach them. And they don't, the Bereans, see, I'm not anybody. I'm just here on Sundays. And, and hopefully some way, somehow I can get to meet with y'all through, you know I mean, other days besides this. But I'm not nobody. I'm replaceable. I'm just a vessel. We all have the same Bible. We all share the same Holy Spirit. We all have to have that same hunger to want to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I talked about last week, the pillars of the church ain't one or two people. I hate when people say, oh, that elder, this elder. Why can't that person that doesn't have a title be a pillar in the church? We're all supposed to be pillars. If we're all going to get a crown when we go to heaven, keep it real. That's what I'm saying. A lot of the truth is not really being taught. People just spitting whatever they want to spit, but they're not breaking down the scriptures for what they are. And the reality is, it's very sad to report that over 60% of born-again Christians in that age range. That means you old school folks, y'all were taught right. It's this younger generation that they just are, their minds are not screwed on right. <laughs> it's sad. So, so for the youngsters in here, man, y'all got to ride that straight line. Ride that line of demarcation and do not allow yourself to be persuaded. Now, I'm not saying bash on other religions, but you can kindly, lovingly say that ain't correct. It's false. That's a that's a den of Satan. That is not correct. You are not going to get to heaven and be led into heaven and live eternally with God, the Father, the Trinity, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit by believing in anything else other than Jesus and his what he did on the cross. You see, the church of Laodicea exemplifies empty religion. They believed only in mind and not in deed. And and that's what happens to a lot of believers. Intellectually, it's like, yes, so I get it. That's where that that whole thing of like, I don't care how many scriptures you can spit. (laughs) Like I I got over that a long time ago. I had that insecurity. Well, I I, I didn't go to seminary. I I don't have all these scriptures memorized. I don't know the addresses of all these verses. It's like the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance whatever you need to speak whenever you need to speak it. I don't need to be steeped in. I know this. I know that because it's empty. It's only in the mind. If it hasn't got from your mind to your heart and caused you to change the way you live and your actions then you have not got it yet. Because you base things off what is being done in and through you. Because the power of the Holy Spirit will move you to have compassion. Will move you to live in a manner that is righteous amongst your brothers and your sisters and amongst the world. Because that's what Jesus wants for us to be. How us to be. You see, the way the church of Laodicea was, was very similar to the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had the law. So they thought it was enough. But it wasn't. They relied on the law. 
They wanted the law. You know how the scribes and the Pharisees were. They made other laws on top of the laws. That's again sacrilege. What are y'all doing? We can't even keep one commandment. Y'all want to add 59 more to the 10? That don't make no sense. You're making it so difficult. That's why some people get burnt out and they're like, I'm not doing religion. I'm not going to this church where they tell me I got to do this. I can't, I can't have a beard. I, I got I to gotta wear this. I got to wear that. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, man, people just talk crazy. It's a bunch of man-made stuff. We talking about the Bible, just the Bible. That's it. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how you come in because it's not about that. It's not about all this stuff. That's what we get caught up in that. And I, 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 I hate that with the righteous hate. I really do. I do not like that about how some churches operate in that manner. They want you to conform to these man-made regulations and rules. Okay, enough of my ranting and raving. <clears throat> you see this about these uh, Pharisees and these Sadducees, and yet tax collectors who were despised and hated, harlots, but they had enough sense to, need, to know that they needed Jesus. Look at it this way. Satan will have us any way he can get us. But he prizes a lukewarm religionist far above a cold-hearted sinner. Again, this whole idea of someone deceiving themselves, thinking that they're good with God because, oh, I go to church service or I give my tithe <laughs> or I don't curse. <laughs> or, I don't do this. I don't do that. Again, it's all about these things you don't do. What? That, the, the grace of God, where is that? Where's the blood of Jesus in that? It doesn't, it's not about all those things you don't do or you do do. He goes on to say, I wish that you were cold or hot. What Jesus wanted to change in them and in us today, as much as anything, is the deceptive playing of the middle, trying to please both the world and Jesus. He says, I wish that you were cold or hot. Also points to another aspect of lukewarmness as a picture of uselessness. When we're lukewarm in the spirit, we are useless. You see, an example of this is hot water heals, right? Hot cup of tea on a cold day, oh, it's great. Hot cup of coffee on a cold day, great. Hot cup of coffee on a hot day for me is great. (laughs) Cold water refreshes. But lukewarm water is useless for either purpose. It was as if Jesus was saying, if you were hot or cold, I could do something with you. But because you are neither, I will do nothing. The application is this. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Jesus to satisfy a craving for religion, but not enough for eternal life. You see, it's got to be more than all this robotic stuff. It's not about all. That's why I tell you guys. It's not about, like, I love what Tony Evans said. He said this a long time ago, and I always coin this. You know, Sunday mornings is like a, a, a football game and, and, the, and, and the offense on the field in the huddle. You get the game plan on on the Sunday, but you got to get out of this building, get to the line of scrimmage of life and start applying the play that you got here throughout your everyday life, every day of the week. That's what it's about. It's not about. That's why I said coming to church. Yes, we're not supposed to forsake the meeting of the saints. But does that get you into heaven? Heck no. If you got to be online, you got to be online. If you got to find a church somewhere else, you got to find a church somewhere else. But that doesn't it's about your personal relationship with Christ. That's all it is personal relationship communion common union you and him got to be like this like glue stuck together that's what's going to get you into heaven i love this remember the thief on the cross he was cold towards jesus but he clearly saw his need right 
wasn't he? He must have been cold because he's on the cross. Unless he was wrongly accused, he's a thief. They're about to kill him. So his whole life, he's been running, doing his own thing. And he's, he's, he sees his need finally, and he's cold. John, uh, the apostle John, he was hot towards Jesus, and he enjoyed a relationship of love. But then look at Judas. Iscariot. I used to say Isocrate <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Can I say his last name right? Iscariot, Judas. He was lukewarm, following Jesus enough to be considered a disciple, yet not giving his heart over to Jesus in, f- in fullness. You see, deep down, there's no one more miserable than a lukewarm Christian. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. That's why I say there's no in one foot in, one foot out. We have to, we have to decide. You know, what does the scripture say? Today is the day of salvation. Man, make the proclamation today and just be like, I'm done. I had a conversation with a coworker of mine. He called me through, um, you know, during this week that I've been off from work. And, you know, he just shared with me some real stuff. It's the guy that I've been discipling. And, you know, he's struggling with smoking weed. And he's just like, man, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to these cannabis clubs and I'm doing this and that. And, you know, it's like it's kind of like the same conversation that we have over and over. And I had to stop him. I said, man. Hey, bro, I said, I'm, 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 I'm going to be real with you and I'm not going to be harsh, but I'm going to be honest. I said, you need to decide. You need to stop playing back and forth. I said, your best day being high ain't going to compare to your worst day with Jesus Christ. I said, you're 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 so you're selling out to your flesh. I said, getting high ain't, 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 ain't that deep. I said, I know. I did it for 17 years. I said, but when my low hit my low, that was it. And I had to make a decision. And I said, Lord, I'm not doing it no more. Because this, and I shared my testimony with this guy. And, and he kind of shared the same thing. He said, man, I'm afraid for my life. I said, you must not be that afraid for your life. You're still smoking. I said, if you're afraid for your life, and you think the Lord's going to take your life because you keep on doing what you're doing, he's not going to let you live out your ordained days. You got to stop. And so... You know, I'm praying for this man and I'm praying that he he really get changed because it's this whole idea of being one foot in and one foot out. And that's what that's what the Bible talks about. Dying to your flesh daily. Paul said he puts his flesh into submission. He just puts that flesh into submission because we cannot be given over to the cravings of our flesh just because it's easy. You know, maybe you don't struggle with weed. Maybe you struggle with food. (laughs) <laughs> the holidays, sweets, you know, you got to put a cap on it. You can have some, but don't be eating the whole stinking plate. <laughs> Half the cake in one sitting and wonder why you don't feel well. Man, you know what I'm saying? We, we got to rein it in. We have to rein it in. Interestingly enough, Jesus goes on to say, I wish that you were cold. Right. We really need to look at this because we know that his deepest desire is that people be hot. These Christians be hot, be on fire for him. But because they were not hot, Jesus preferred them cold rather than lukewarm. What Jesus is essentially saying is, at least if you're cold, there could be a possibility of them seeing the need for him and then they could get hot. The question is this, do you recognize what an insult it is to God when we come before him with lukewarm prayers? You know, and we're just wishy-washy in our prayer closet like, oh, oh I, don't, I don't want to get on my knees, I'm too tired. And we, we just throw up some old whimsical prayer, right? But the reality is it's, an, it's a heart condition. It's always comes down, it always comes down, excuse me, to a heart condition. 
we don't want to kneel in the attitude of prayer yet not even pray. How many times does that happen though? People are just so loosey-goosey with their prayer life and they wonder why things don't change. Because it's like, do we understand the effectiveness of prayer? When someone is interceding for you, I know there's people in this room where they got family members or parents that are interceding praying. And that may be the only thing that's keeping you from not going off the edge. Because you got some, you got a real prayer warrior in your corner and they're praying for you. I know that was me. You know, my, my stepfather's uh, mom, she prayed for me for years. That's, that's the person who I got my first Bible from. Old school King James Bible. I still got it. And this lady prayed for me every day until she died. And I didn't even know that. But there was someone that was praying for me. You know, I didn't even know Jesus. Didn't even know the slightest thing of who Jesus was except for Easter eggs and the Christmas tree. And this lady, bless her heart, prayed for me every day. How can we profess Jesus Christ, but we don't live in a way that is consistent with him? We live in a lukewarm matter when we profess Christ, but yet we don't seek to tell anyone about Jesus. When we live a lifestyle of disobedience to God, Titus chapter one, verse 16 says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It's not my words. That's the Bible. If we really are God's people, then we must serve him with all of our might. Interestingly enough, the name Laodicea means rule of the people. And this church well represents a church run by the majority instead of run by God. Its name reveals that it is a church mob rule, the democratic church, and that that's not a political statement, in which everything is swayed and decided by popular opinion and voting. You know, here at Brazilian Life Church, I, I want to believe with all in my heart that we're a church that's we're seeking after the hand of God in all things. We're not, you know, me, Lou, Daniel, and Sal are not sitting up at night trying to figure out, conjure up what we're going to do, and we're going to vote like this and that. Yeah, we pray about it, and we make decisions based on that, but we're not, this is not a church of mob rule. We're ruled by the Holy Spirit. We might even say when we look at lukewarmness, This is a natural tendency of our fallen nature because we all come into this world in the same disposition. We're self-reliant. We want to pride ourselves on what we can do and what we have, and we don't look for help. This last statement in in this verse, and we'll move on to the last verse. Because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Well, how are the, how is the church in the mouth of Jesus? Well, we are in his mouth because we spread his word. We're speaking his word. We are in Jesus's mouth because he prays for us constantly. What what is Jesus doing now? He's at the right hand of the father. And what is he doing? He's interceding on your behalf and my behalf, right? He's doing that right now. They are in his, we are in his mouth again, because he is the one who is guiding us in all that we do. What a terrible thing in either of these ways to be spit out from the mouth of Jesus Christ. We don't want that. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. All right. Last verse, verse 17. He goes on to say, For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The church of Laodicea lacked a sense of spiritual poverty. They looked at their spiritual condition and said, I'm rich. (laughs) I'm rich. I don't know if it was because 
they had placards on the wall and they had nice seating and, and you know, well, I don't know. And they had a, a nice throne room chair for the pastor. I don't know what they had. But they looked at their spiritual condition and they thought they were rich. They looked again and said they were wealthy. They looked a third time and said that we have need of nothing. Can't you see we rebuilt this whole city? Even the earthquake couldn't, couldn't break us. That's how they thought. They were prideful. They were the opposite of what Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says. And that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The application is this. Only those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcies in this life will truly inherit the kingdom of heaven. Only those who look to Jesus Christ to repay the debt that they owe to God for their sins will be cleared of their debt. You could be rich in worldly wealth, but if you don't have Jesus Christ living inside of you, seated on the throne of your heart, then you are poor, my friend. That is just the reality. You see, the Laodiceans put their trust in material prosperity, in outward luxury, and in physical health. They felt that they didn't need anything. They said, I'm vibrant. I'm strong. I don't need anything from anyone. The loss of a sense of need. This is the drowsiness that works to freeze a person to death. (laughs) I love this example because my kids enjoy watching this movie, The Grinch. We all know the Grinch, right? What, what was his problem? What was Grinchy's problem? Grinchy was, my heart is two sizes too small. Well, why was his heart so small? Because he had no room for anyone but himself. He was afraid to love, right? And he didn't want nobody else around. He didn't want no one else around. He thought that if he lived as if he was in no need of love, he would be all right. But I have a question. How many people do you see living like that today? They, they don't want nothing. They look at people as an object. How can I use you? How can I get something from you? You're dispensable and disposable to me. I don't look at you as someone who has a soul, who has worth, who was created in the image of God. And they trample on people like it's nothing. That is such a sad thing. Jesus goes on to describe their true condition. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? You see, it wasn't that the church of Laodicea wasn't spiritually poor. They were simply too blind to see their condition. Jesus looked at their spiritual condition and said, wretched. He looked again and said, miserable. He looked again and said, poor. He looked one more time and said, blind. A final time, look, Jesus looked and he saw that they were spiritually naked. Now, When you sense this, these are some extremely powerful statements from Jesus Christ. But when you actually look at it, even though these realities are very hard to hear, they are full of the Lord's love and mercy. How much mercy and love that Jesus had. Because he cared so much for the church that he said something to them rather for them to just go and rot away. He actually stepped in line and said something. The city of Laodicea, again, was famous for its wealth, but the Christians of the city were spiritually wretched, miserable, and poor. Laodicea was famous for its healing eye ointment, for its medicine, but the Christians of the city were spiritually blind. Laodicea was, again, famous for its fine clothes, but the Christians of the city were spiritually naked. The contrasts are shocking. The contrast between, between, excuse me, what they thought of themselves and what they really were. The contrast between 
who they saw and what Jesus saw. The contrast between the wealth and affluence of their city and their own spiritual bankruptcy. This describes many within the church today as the worship team comes up. A question. Do we daily take a sober assessment of where we are with Jesus Christ? Or do we fool ourselves with possessions of things and activities we do in our health thinking we are walking along good with God? He goes on to say, you are. This wasn't just the opinion of Jesus. Spiritually speaking, they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What Jesus saw in them was more important than how they saw themselves. Remember the church in Smyrna, right? They thought that they were poor. But Jesus said that you are rich in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. But the church here in Laodicea believed that they were rich when they were really poor. The application is this. It all began with their spiritual blindness. If you are blind, you can't look at yourself and see that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. Mental darkness is worse than a loss of sight, but the loss of spiritual vision is the worst. May we be those who are touched by the gospel in a way that produces true change within us, that we are truly born again and not be those who are untouched by the gospel and can't see beyond this material world, unable to see the real eternal spiritual riches in front of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we, um, we just thank you, Lord, that, that we can come. And as, as it was said at the beginning of, of worship, that we don't have to do anything special. All we have to do is admit that we need you. We need your help and that we can't do it alone and that we submit our lives before you. May that be our hearts today, Lord. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. When we're in that position, when we're spiritually broken, that's the best place to be because you're close to those who are brokenhearted. Your strength rests upon those who admit their weakness. That's why Paul said, I I glory in my weakness because I know that Christ's strength is made perfect in me. May that be our cry today. And Lord, as we go into this new year, as it's been said, may we really take heed of the plans you have for us, that we're alive for a purpose to glorify you here on earth, to, to, to share the truth of Jesus Christ with those around us so that we can see souls be saved, so we can see more come to know you and have their names written in the book of life before it's too late for judgment. When the judgment comes, that's it. And when the door closes, that's it. So Father, again, may you bless this time. We thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.